Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Aren't you glad that God is God? Amen. Uh, he has all power in heaven and earth in His hands. We are not, uh, we are not hoping. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, a lot of other... Uh, a lot of other religions, world religions, the, the end is kind of in doubt a little bit. You know, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant battle. You, but, but for us, we know that Satan never got close. Not for a moment did it, did it look bad or was there any kind of question or the outcome. Um, his own hubris and pride caused him to rise up against God, take a third of the angels. But how, how, you know, how do you get your mind wrapped around that when he is the sovereign creator of every plane of existence, of all people, of all things, of all, you know, all angels? You know, Did you ever think about that? Just like, what was he thinking? Like, what are you thinking? Like, God willed them into existence. You think he can't will you out of existence? You think, you think that you had a chance? God is omniscient. He saw from the very beginning of time when he created time to the very end of time, and somehow Satan thought he was going to pull a fast one. I, don't, I, I will never understand that, but pride and hubris will cause you to act erratically. Now that I can understand, right? That you can understand, right? Pride uh, will cause you to do things that everybody around you would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? You don't see how that's going to work out like this? Very obviously not going to go well for you if you continue down this path. Like, but pride will do that. Pride will cause you to be blind. It will mask the truth of reality. And whenever Satan enters into this, this rebellion against God, that's exactly what happens. He's blinded by pride. We know who God is. We know that he is all-knowing. He is sovereign. He is good. He can move mountains. Amen. And I want to preach this for, for a few minutes. Um, God can move the mountains in the life of the believer. He can, he can make the impossible possible. And as a matter of fact, it's not just one scripture, because sometimes you'll have like a famous thing, you know, and a lot of songs written about how God can move mountains. You know, Savior, you know, he can move the mountains. You know, all, you know those, those good songs, you can have all this. And then, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know almost a, uh, fan clubbing around this one concept of how powerful God is. He can, he's a mountain mover. Amen. But it's not just one scripture. That's, that's kind of a common recurring theme. And I was doing a little bit of research reading it. Zechariah in 4 and 7 says, What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone and shouts of grace, grace to it. Isaiah 40 and 4 says, Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Speaking of the power of God. In Job 28 and 9, the writer says, He puts his hand on the flint and overturns the mountain at its base. Mountain is, you know, especially for, uh, you know, for, for this, you know, culture that is, uh, you know, Bronze Age, you know, pre-Bronze Age, and then, you know, so on. Like, uh, the mountain is just kind of like a little bit of hyperbole as well. Like, you know, that, that's the biggest thing and the hardest thing and toughest thing that you can think of. You know, the mountain don't move. Of all the things that they're trying to figure out, you know, in that kind of, you know, nomadic lifestyle in this ancient world, a lot of things did not see. Even the stars, you know, like, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, as, you know what, what the constellations mean. And then can you imagine never really seeing what we see with the telescope? And you're trying to figure out some stuff that is stable. The mountain is kind of what you think of. You know, nobody can do that. There's no dynamite. There's no bulldozers. Like the mountain don't move. So it's a little bit of a hyperbolic 
um, you know, or it's just the toughest thing, the biggest thing they could think of. So for them to say, God can move a mountain, it's a big deal. There's not anything else that would seem that hard to move. And it speaks of the unlimited power of God. Deuteronomy 32 and 22 says, For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Job 9 and 5 said, It is God who removes the mountains. They know not how when he overturns them in his anger. Speaking of God's anger. The last two verses are speaking of God's anger. Now, this is an interesting one. This is New Testament, and they're continuing, um, you know, just... It's not just hyperbole because God literally can do this, right? He created them. He caused, but, but for them, it's kind of just like an, an eloquent way of, say, of, of expressing the magnitude of God's power. So in 1 Corinthians, we get a little bit of a, uh, uh, not, not a paradox, but he, he creates a little, I guess a little bit of a juxtaposition would be the right word. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 and 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I know it all, Amen? How many of you know it all? Got him. I do that from time to time. <laughs> if I have all faith, how many of you have all faith in every season and everything? There are some times when my faith is not as strong as what it can be, and I have to lean on God. You know, and he has mercy on me whenever I don't see the things you know, that, you know, coming together in the, in the sense that I believe, I'm believing him for. If you know, if you know all the mysteries... You have all the knowledge, and you have all the faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That's a, that's a, that's a real good comparison, isn't it? It kind of brings it back. It doesn't matter if you are powerful, if you are intelligent, if you are mighty, if you're well-educated in the Word, you have faith, you have, you, know, you, you have all these things, maybe you have your life together. If you don't have love, now the, the KJV would translate that as charity, um, the, it, in our common you know, phrase, say charity would be the guy ringing the, the bell outside of Lowe's that I'm not making eye contact with because I only have a card and it's awkward. They got to do something about that, right? You know, or the uh, you know the, the little the, the cute little little dude holding the Boy Scouts of America thing. Like that's kind of what I think when I say charity, right? Right? That's charity. You give to charity. The Word of God is teaching about a different kind of charity. This love. If I do all these things, I have all this power, this authority, um, this anointing in my life, this authority but I don't have love, I am nothing. Amen. Matthew 17 and 20 says, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. God can move the mountain in your life. That thing, and like I said, it's not any one particular mountain. It, it, is, it is a little bit, you know, just, it's eloquent, it's hyperbolic. But what he's trying to say, the writer's continually trying to do is say, the biggest thing that you're looking at, amen? The biggest thing on your horizon, the one thing that seems immovable, the one thing that seems like nothing that you do or say are able to accomplish, nothing can change the existence and the reality of what you're looking at and what you cannot get over. It's there. It is stationary in your life and in your future. You can't get rid of it. The biggest thing that is barring you from maybe what you're called to do or what you're supposed to be or, or, or the peace of God that passes all understanding, that, 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 that sense of being okay and being who you're supposed to be, um, that one monstrous thing that nothing else can touch, God says it can move. 
and he has the power. And if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, he can do it, and he will do it. Nothing will be impossible for you. Our God is a mountain mover, amen? But today, this is a, you know, this is a different direction. I'm glad that you agree that he can move mountains. Now, let's talk about this. We go right into Psalm 48 and 1. A song and psalm from the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. In the mountain of his holiness. So I want to preach to you for the next few minutes on the only mountain that God won't move. The only mountain that God cannot move. Now let's play a word game there. Is there things God can't, can God build a rock so big that he can't pick it up? It's a non sequitur, right? It's, a, it's, it's, like saying, it's like saying, will Ohio State lose to Michigan on Saturday? I mean, it's not going to happen, right? Like that's, it's against logic and it, is, it becomes, amen? It's a non, amen. Yeah, all right. I finally got an amen from back there. Wonderful. We're on fire today. It is, it's not going to happen. It can't happen. It's a logical fallacy. You say, uh, can God build, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just playing word games, Right? You know, it's, it's a logical fallacy. Uh, can God build, you know, can, can God build a rock so big that even he can't pick it up? Can God sin? Well, no, because it's not because he's not powerful enough, because that's who he is. It's bound up in the very identity of who God, you don't understand the identity of God, how big a deal that is, about who God is. God, everything that makes sin, sin, is counter to God by nature. Literally, the definition of sin is those things that are in contradiction with the character, the purpose, the word, and the truth of who God is. So you understand that everything, everything bad, everything wrong, everything that you ever got whooped for as a kid, uh, you know, if, if, if it was justified, you know, then the reasoning that it was bad is it, is it runs counter to who God is, right? God is truth. God is love. God is just, right? All the morality that, that we see in this fledgling sinful world that is, you know, upheld is all morality comes from the very character of who God is, right? That's, that's where we get our, uh, our Bill of Rights from. I, I know I kind of hit this last week, but I'm going to do it again. That's where we, we get uh, these, uh, these, what the, four, you know, the, the founding fathers of this country called truths that we hold to be self-evident. That we have a creator, and that as we, the creation of that divine creator, we have inalienable rights. That means they're not up for grabs. They're not up for conversation. You have rights because you bear the image of God. And it took this country a while to figure out a lot of what that meant and to actually live up to the ideals that it was founded on. Thank God, you know, and we will continue to move along in that progress. But all morality comes from the character of God. So to say, well, can God be immoral? No, because all morality is, is, comes from him and who he is. That's where we get morality in the first place. So it's just, it's a non sequitur. It is, you know, a, a, a illogical conclusion. God is. The very first thing that we need to understand when we talk about the mountain of God's holiness and that God is holy. Amen? He is holy. He is perfect first part of that is that not, not just that God is holy, but God is. And if you ever really wrap your mind all the way around that, then, uh, then you'd be in good shape. Because the guy who, try, who was empowered to write the very first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, 
Moses, um, this writer, he tried to ask God about, the ident- about his identity, have a conversation with God. You know, who, who, who can I tell him sent you? Moses said, who, 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 you know, what, what can you tell me about yourself, God? Because I'm going to go on your behalf and introduce you to the people. I'm going to try and you know, work it up here. I'm going to do your work. But you've got to give me something here. Who, who should I say sent me? What's the name? What is the, you know, what's the claim? Who, who are you? What, you know, by what authority am I doing this? God's answer was, I am. And that almost pinned Moses' ears back by itself. He said, I am. And Moses said, wow, you, you are? You are. I, you know, there, there's, you know, there, there, there's not a lot of ga- ground to be gained by trying to explain the nature of, of God. All that we know is the derivative, you know, the holiness that, that comes from, that is revealed through the scriptures, through the passages um, you know, that, that talk about God and his character and, and what he does. Like That's the only way. We, can, we can't really know him. We can know things about him. But to understand the fullness of the holiness of God is beyond comprehension. Amen? See, Moses... He received a two-word answer, and it almost blew his mind. He came down on a different day after, seeing, after you know, ministering to God and seeing, you know, seeing, you know, the, you know, having that encounter with God, and everybody could see it on his face. Some people say you know, his hair turned white. I mean, that's, that's arguable. We know, you know no matter what, he, his face was glowing, almost like somebody who's like, you know, stuck their finger you know, in a light socket. You know, that's kind of the image that I get, like his hair sticking up. It's just, he came down, and everyone's like, oh, you, you, you're different. You look different. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way, to, that's the way to, to disparage an outfit or something that you know, maybe your, 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 your husband is wearing. You say, oh, that's different. Amen? Say, oh, that's, 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 huh. Is that new? Is that different? Yeah, okay. All right. They looked at Moses after having an encounter with God and said, oh, you look different. You look, you look odd. It's strange. The revelation of God is a lot to take in. He came down, and people could see it on his face. I want to teach something right here. God is. God is who he is, and we know who he is through the revealed word, written word of God, the canon, the Bible. That's how we know what we know about God. He preserved it. He gave it to us. He allowed us to have it free access in this country. Thank God. And that is how he chooses to reveal himself. He can, review, he can reveal some things about himself through nature, you know, his power, his majesty, his creative genius. We can look, you know, at a sunset. You know, we can look at beautiful things. You know, we can look at, you know, the, the fall leaves changing and just the, all these wonderful, amazingly. We can look at the stars to see his handiwork because the Word of God teaches us they do declare his handiwork. And we can see all of that. But to know his moral character, the revealed Word of God is how we know God. That's how we know who he is. Now think about it like a relationship. How do you know the person that you married? How did you know when you were dating? How did you get to know that person? This is so important. God is. And if we are going to have an ordered, true relationship, we need to have a certain level of understanding about the nature of God. Because you cannot have a real relationship with who you think God is. Now, here's where we kind of delve a little bit. You cannot have an actual, real relationship with who you think God is. Because there's a lot of people who think maybe that they know, oh, God would want me to do this. Or maybe God says this. Or maybe, you know, this is okay. Or they, maybe, or this is good. Or they can say all these things. And you can have a lot of relationships, you know, with who you think somebody is. 
Now, that, and that, that goes for sure in, in dating and, you know, in marriage, you know, there's somebody, you know, who is, uh, maybe you, you built them up in your mind to be a certain way, and then, you know, when reality hit, it was not that way at all, and, and, and the relationship began to, you know, to have a lot of trouble and begin to break down. Sometimes that, you know, you cannot have a healthy relationship on, with, with your idea, your inaccurate idea of somebody. You have to know them. You know, you have to understand that that is the beginning of understanding. That's the beginning of a healthy relationship and a life-giving relationship. You have to know them. You cannot have a real healthy relationship with a person based on who you think they are. You cannot have a relationship with who you think a person is because it will be based on assumption, false assumption and sometimes outright lies, which is no bueno. Don't those break down right quick? They do. They do. And I pray that, you know, I pray that's not the situation for anybody here today, but you you still, you have to find ground zero. You can only build a life-giving and healthy, lasting relationship with who someone actually is, not who you've decided that they are or are not. And that goes for good or wrong, for good or bad. You can only have an ordered relationship with who God actually is. And that's important. I think that that is a huge, you know, and I'm, it may not seem that way, but I'm, I'm teaching some pretty, 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 straight, pretty straight up stuff here. You cannot have a relationship with God based on the things that you like about God and jettisoning or throwing away or skipping over the parts about God that are inconvenient to my lifestyle. The things that are like, eh, you know, well, I like this part of God. Let's, how about me and God hang out on Mondays and then and then, you know, but I, I, I don't let him into this area. Like, I have, you can do that with, with work people, you know. You know, there, there are relationships you have at work, and you're like, okay, I'll work with them, and that, you know, I'll be treating them good. But we, we ain't going fishing together. That's, that's not the relationship that we have. You know, and I'm not even being nasty. That's just we, we don't get along like that. You know, he don't know me like that. She, you know, amen. She don't know me like that. Like, you know, that's, we, we can do that. You can kind of leave that at work. You can leave the frustrations at work. You can have those, you know, on the court, you know, you can play ball with somebody and say, okay, you know, well, we just leave it there, leave it on the court, and then, you know, I go, you know, with the rest of my life. Can't do God that way. And you shouldn't do your marriage that way, right? You cannot just dissect and then subdivide your life. Either God is truly imprinted on you and you're walking with him everywhere you go. You don't ever get to the door and be like, stay here. Well, I do these things, and I think these thoughts, and I walk this way, and we'll, I'll be right back. So, oh, I'm glad you're still here where I left you, God. So you, you need to see all that. That don't work that way. You know, whatever your relationship with God is, it's, it's all of it, right? And I'm not saying this to discourage you. And you'd be like, oh, you know, well, you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't want to be in relationship with me. He does. He, does, he cares about you. He loves you. Um, but we, we have to understand that whenever you, uh, whenever you marry a person, you marry, you know, you, they say for better or for worse for a reason. My wife can surely testify. Amen? For better or for worse, and you're going to get both. Good days and bad days. People, you marry the whole person. You can't throw the whole person away. You have to, you have to walk it out with the person. Now, God, you don't get to do that. And honestly, it's not even because he's bad some days. We, he's good all the time. We know that he's good all the time. But we, 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 we have areas in our life where we're like, okay, we're going to close that door. I, I'm giving you a lot of anecdotes, but I'm trying to drive this home. And I think I'm actually ministering to some people, so I shall continue. Amen. Amen. You ever, uh, you ever have people over and, and part of the house is clean? 
Amen. Throw the kids' stuff under the thing and then put a lid on it. Put a, yeah, something. Something. Why, why, why are you wet, child? Why are you wet? What is wrong? How does it? What is that? <laughs> Just go away. Just go stand in the other, stand in the other room. I don't know. That's, that's how I imagine I would be. I'd be like, why? You know, shut the door real quick. Shut the living room door. No, just, just, okay, put the stuff in the room and then shut the door and lock it. And put something in the way. Okay? Because we don't want them to see who we actually are as people. We would like to, we would like to maintain some level of, uh, of, of mutual respect. And, and it says, put all the stuff in there. You know, and then shut the door and don't go in there. I love you all. And some of you, that's a temptation. It's a thing that's kind of going on in your life right now with the things of God. There are some areas which are just better off just closing the door and, and not having God really as an active part of that life because you're still you're, you're worried about that. That's still under construction. That's still kind of a mess. Um, you, 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 God is good for church. God is good for this. God is good for hangouts. God is good, you know, whenever I'm in public or, you know, this or that. Or you, whoever, maybe, maybe you act great everywhere but church. I don't know. It could be the opposite. <laughs> maybe you're just a wonderful person outside, and then you come here and it's mean to everybody. I don't know of anybody like that, but you never know because we're the ones subdividing our life out. Amen? I've seen it before. Not here. I've seen it. Amen. Some people subdivide that out. God walks with you everywhere. You don't get to subdivide the parts of your life where God's holiness matters. God is holy. And Jesus was given over to torture, crucifixion, and death as a sacrifice. And he was not given over to crucifixion so that sinners could go to heaven. That is a deadly misconception. He did it so that sinners could be sinners no more. It was not an amnesty, a spiritual amnesty where everybody could walk into, into, um, into complete sin right into the pearly gates. It just wasn't that way, and it's not that way. He gave his only begotten son, crucified, to die for us, so that we would have the power to be freed from sin and to walk no more in sin, to walk after God in his holiness. This is the meat right here. It's true. Jesus did not die so that sinners could go to heaven. He died so that sinners wouldn't have to be sinners anymore, that they could be delivered from the things that, that bind them, that destroy them. And yes, I believe in progressive sanctification. I don't believe that there's a perfect person in here. We are walking in grace toward the prize, of, you know, the high calling. Um, if there, but if there's anybody in here and your thought is, I'm glad that I'm saved so I can live in whatever sin I want to, if that's your attitude, you're dead wrong. And it's not covering you. Now, if your attitude is, man, I, I mess up, I don't want to do that, you know, the, even Paul, the guy who's writing the Bible, right? He's writing, uh, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and I don't do the things that I want. Ah! The things that I want to do, I do not do, and the things that I do want to do, I do not do them, and my flesh is killing me. It's so frustrating, because I want to be like God. I want to be like Christ. I want to walk worthy. I want to do right, and I believe that's where 
the people you know under the sound of my voice are. You know, if you're not, then you need to do a serious gut check here and say, well, what am I doing? Do I really have a, a relationship with God, or do I just have this, this kind of spiritual amnesty thing where I leave him like in the back corner, and you forgive the sins and get me into heaven, and I'll kind of take care of the rest and live the way I want to, and I'll make decisions that are good if I feel like they're good, and that'll be my thing, and you do your thing, which is the church thing. That's not going to work. But I don't believe that's your heart. I believe, I believe that it could be, and if it is, we need to get it right. Searching out our salvation, seeking after God, making mistakes and learning from the getting up. You know, sometimes what's frustrating is making the same mistake again and again and again and again, and you're like, oh, God, you probably don't want to hear this again, but I messed up. But he does want to hear it again. And what you need to understand is that whenever he died, whenever he saved you, whenever he loved you and brought you into his kingdom, brought you into his house and, you know, and spiritually saved you, he knew about all the mistakes that you would make. Amen? And he loved you in spite of that and said, we'll get through this. You will fall short of the glory of God. You'll make mistakes. You will, you, 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 some days it'll be like you know, taking you know, one step forward, two steps back. There's a, you're going to have those days. You're going to have whole seasons like that sometimes, unfortunately, you know, where you're struggling to overcome something. So don't think that God doesn't love you. Don't think that God is t- sick and tired of walking with you. But we, we do need to understand that God is holy. There was a reason why we needed a Savior in the first place. God is holy by his very nature. It is who he is. He literally cannot be in fellowship with wickedness and sin. It's not even that he doesn't desire to. He can't be. You ever think about that? There's very Nothing God cannot do. However, by his nature, he cannot be, cannot coexist with sin. And honestly, we, sometimes I think about God being mad at Satan and, like, and when he throws him out of heaven, right? That's a great image. Remember? Back, back, back in the day when God threw Satan. And it's just almost like, Shah! And then he throws Satan out of heaven like a lightning bolt, the Bible says, which is really like a great image. You're like, throws him out of heaven. Honestly, I'm, not, I'm surprised that it, he didn't just expel that far away from God just by explosion because God cannot, you know, you ever seen bumper cars? You know, like that, 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 that force that happens. God's nature was so holy, and, and next thing you know, Satan is close enough, and, and, and God's, he couldn't stay in, God, you know, in, in God's you know, spiritual relationship. He couldn't, just like we cannot if we, unless we have the blood of Jesus in our life. You know, Satan couldn't hang out there anymore. You know, the, the atmosphere changed. The things that he was breathing, the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing, they, they, they don't happen, you know, in, God, in God's throne, you know, in relationship with God. So, honestly, it was just like, pop, and Satan shoots off <laughs> into the atmosphere. God is holy. And it's not even that he just thought, you know, should I let Satan, at this point, Lucifer, you know, should I let Lucifer say, you know, should I or should I not? Let me consult the role. Let me, let me think about this. I'm thinking, I'll, let, I'll let you know tomorrow. Nope. His very nature could not stay. Let me, get, let me give you a really pointed picture of this. We're almost done here. Um, let me give you a really pointed picture. Um, Jesus was wonderful, amen? How many of you love Jesus? I love Jesus. No, no, nothing, perfect lamb of God. Nobody like him. No, nothing and nobody like him in the universe. However, when he was hanging on the cross, God looked at him, and he had taken on the sin nature of the whole world, and even his only begotten son, who he loved, God had to turn away. 
now. And Jesus understood why, but he wanted us to understand why. And so he, one of the statements of the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's for your understanding. He had to forsake him because he took on the sins of the world on the cross. He had to turn away. He could not behold sin. So you need to understand that God is holy. He cannot be in fellowship with wickedness and sin. For a sinner to be in relationship with God is like me trying to live as a dolphin. We, went, we, we had a little dolphin cruise we did a little while back. And we, were, and we saw him you know, jumping up along the side of the boat. It was awesome. It was very cool. And that's just the first thing that kind of came to my mind. I can't be in a relationship with God if I will not repent over my sins and if I will not begin to walk after his ways any more than I can live as a dolphin because I can't, I don't live where, I can't live where they live. I can't breathe what they breathe and I can't eat what they eat. I just, my, it's not that they don't want me to. It's not that I don't want to. Although, I mean, it, the nature of the thing is totally wrong. I can't do that. And honestly, that's the, that's the whole point with God. If, if we're going to continue to live in sin and follow after sin and let sin be the master of our life, volitionally, I'm not talking about making mistakes. Amen? I'm not talking about making mistakes, slipping up, having a bad day, you know, working through, you know, the, the, your salvation as, you know, and your sanctification walk. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a decision, a choice. A willful, volitional choice. I'm talking about your bad day when you snapped at somebody. Let's not be silly. We're talking about a choice. You cannot choose two masters. And the reason, and you want to blame it on God, don't blame it on God. God did everything he could. He bankrupted heaven to purchase back his relationship with you and me. The only thing he can't do, the only thing he can't give you, the only bridge he cannot build is one where you carry your sin into his presence. God said, I have moved every mountain, the mountains of sin, of depression, of fear, of anxiety, of anger, of bondage, every mountain that I can move for your recovery, for your salvation, for your repentance and your reconciliation you and Jesus, you and God, I have moved everything I can. But there is one mountain I will not move. There's one mountain, says God, that I cannot move. And it is the mountain of his holiness. You need to understand why God calls us to holiness. Let's preach on holiness. Let's preach on holiness. Holiness is not just a list of rules codified by a particular organization. Holiness is not a checklist, just a simple checklist of good and bad. For holiness is embedded in the very character of God. It is an in integral part of his divine identity. That's what holiness is. God has, does, and will continue to do the miraculous to facilitate the redemptive work of the cross. And everything that is right and true emanates from God. But we can't ask God to do things that make him less than God. 
He won't do it. He cannot do it. He has a set nature, and he doesn't bend his nature around us and our needs and our desires. His nature is good. His mercy endures forever, but he is who he is, and we better get used to it. I better get used to it. You better get used to it. He is who he is. All right and wrong is wrapped up about what he feels about the thing. And that is revealed through the word of God, not through just the, you know, the opinions of man. See, God won't save people against their will. Sometimes we don't pray the right way, the correct way. You say, you know, oh God, you know, save that person, make him get saved. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, that's, that's weird. I'm not doing it. I don't force myself into people's life and into people's world. Um, I, the right way to pray is, God, reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself in your beauty and your love and your majesty and your mercy and your grace and, and soften their heart, um, cause things to come into their life that they understand that they see you revealed. Because I think that you know, to, to, to see him truly revealed, um, that's a powerful thing. I think that, that draws people unto salvation. God will not break faith with spiritual principles that emanate from his very character to answer our prayers. He will not do this. He won't do it. He will not go against who his nature is to be to answer our prayers. And that's that's a me problem. That's a you problem. You ever had you ever told anybody that? Yeah. I do it whenever I'm being a little smarty pants. I say, you know, you know, um, you know even when I'm planning on helping Sister Polly to do something, she's like, I don't no no no. She'll ask me about something. I'm like, man, sounds like a you problem. And then usually I end up doing the thing, but uh, that's a you problem. Whenever your prayers are asking God to do things that are against his character, against his plan, against his purpose, and his divine identity, that's a you problem. Yeah. That's a you problem. Like that you, we, we got to wind our prayers into a biblical way. We have to work with him. He, don't have to, he never had to work with us. The creator of the universe don't have to work with me. I need to work with him. And thank God that he actually wants to work with me. And he will not give me what I want, but it is his greatest heart's desire to give me what I need, what is truly best for me, what will bless me and not be a curse to me. He knows. Thank God we got it. Thank him. He is on our side. He is for us, not against us. But there is one mountain God will not move, his holiness. He will not change his nature to allow for our continued willful sin. So, Pastor Joe, why did you preach this today? Why did you spend, you know, this, this whole Sunday um, discussing this, talking, teaching, reading the word about, about God's holiness? Because I don't want this ministry to preach less than the full counsel of the word of God. I don't want it to be on my conscience or me stand in heaven, you know, before the throne of God and to be found blamed because I didn't tell the truth. Because honestly, shame on any preacher that does the same thing that I that I that I you know I I, I was concerned about at the very beginning. I said you cannot have a relationship with who you think God is. You think God is just you know easy money you know just pray you know what you know a, a a spiritual ATM. You know Jesus made the big deposit. Now we just withdraw what we want when we want, and we don't we have no responsibility outside. That is not how it works. And so some ministries do kind of feel that way you know they do teach that you know just like oh you know, just, everything's gonna be great you know just do this don't worry about that you know and it's always you know they, they never will approach sin they will never approach God's holiness they'll just say oh you know his goodness his mercy and grace just he's got you just do it just just you know 
just as long as you love God, you can love God. But the Word of God says, those who love me keep my commandments. You know, see what that love actually looks like. And here's the real purpose. I wanted you to understand what it is to walk with God as clearly as I possibly can today. Because maybe you're here today and, uh, and you've prayed a prayer or you have you know, maybe come to this altar or another altar like it maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. I have no idea. And you picked up part of the experience, but you did not understand that whenever you got into a relation with God, you got into a relation with all of God. You know, it's kind of like, you, you know, it would be the same thing if somebody had a, had a, you know, a Vegas marriage and, you, and you know, all you knew was that they looked nice and you just, you know, real quick, you just decided to marry that person. Now, you know, things are, personality clashes are coming in. The thing is, a lot of people just kind of put that on ice with God. They just won't think about it. And it's not so present in their lives. But whenever you got into a relationship with God, you married into his nature, his holiness. And so you're kind of like, why are things worse than they've ever been? Like, you know, why are things more challenging for me now? Because I feel like, you know, I got saved or I'm trying to serve God and, and things are coming against me. Well, sometimes it's just the, the stinking enemy coming against you. Sometimes though, there's a little bit of a tension between the nature of God and the way that we're still walking. Two things can be true at once, right? And sometimes it's just the enemy coming against you, you know, trying to keep you from that breakthrough that I know is coming in Jesus' name if you hold the faith. But I want you to understand what it is to be in relationship with God. There are no versions of God. There are versions of the Bible. Some of them I don't care for. I don't, you know, don't like the way you know, that the translation came out. Some of them, you know, there are there's more than one good one. You know, that, that, you know, obviously it was written in Hebrew and Greek. So there are different versions. You know, there are versions in Spanish. You know, if you want to be staunchly, you know, in one camp or the other, there's versions in French, right? There's different versions of the Bible. But understand this here and now. There are no versions of God. There are no versions of holiness and morality and truth. Only what emanates from the very character of God revealed through his word that is pure holiness real holiness are the attributes of God which we pursue it's not some man-made codified list it's not some group it's not some person who has a monopoly on it it is that which emanates from the very character of God and whenever you became one with Christ spiritually the nature of God, you married into that. Or maybe you haven't. And you need to. It's a big deal. It's a big decision. It's a huge deal. It's not just a prayer. It's a new identity. It's a choice. It is a vow. It is a new way to walk. Amen? And I don't want to try and set this so high above to where you never think, no, start, baby, baby going to crawl. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about trying to live up to... Here's the thing. Let me have you one more second. Don't worry about trying to live up to somebody else. No, I mean, you'll fall short. You won't, you won't end up as high as you should have been. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I can never be like that person. I can never... You know. No, if you aim at that person, you'll end up... Any, and if you get there, you'll end up lower than you should be. Aim at Jesus. Don't you worry about that person... He only acted like he got it all together anyway. He's, he's struggling. Amen. You know what I mean by that. We 
don't aim at people. We aim at Christ. The revealed character of Christ, the real character of God, through the reading of his word, the revelation of the divine word of God, which endures forever. Amen.